Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Also, my other usual co-host, Mark. Mark, how you doing? It's time for another show. Hey, I have been waiting all day to get on do this show. I know you got some exciting stuff to talk about, so uh, I'm I'm ready to go and uh, I'm ready to hear about some baseball. Yeah, we we just some behind the scenes info. We just recorded last week's episode. That's and right. Now we are doing this week's because Mark is actually leaving town. I'm leaving town too, but he's leaving town for longer. So if the lockout ends before this this you know drops, we're sorry. If <laughs> anything of consequence happens, we're sorry. It's not our fault. We're uh, we're very early on this week's episode. Yes. That being said, though, we're a history podcast. We shouldn't be beholden to time, the concept of time. But good point. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's get right into it with uh, with some BP. We got a lot of stuff to go over today. And then I'm excited to talk about Steve Garvey when we get to the main part of the show here. But we don't want to do that cold. So let's uh, go ahead and start off with some BP. Mark, I got a bunch of little things here that I found all over the internets that I wanted to talk about. One of them uh, is a story that I posted on our Twitter feed a week or so ago. So if you don't follow us yet, you should, because you can get this kind of information. But uh, Tim Flannery, we've talked about, uh, well, I know we've pulled him in Wax Packs Heroes several times. Sure. I, th- I think he's battling cancer right now. I hope he's, I hope he's oh, doing wow. okay. In 1992, Tim Flannery was managing in Spokane, the uh, the Spokane Indians, which is usually a team name we don't say very often. It is interesting, though, the Spokane Indians did a rebrand just a couple of years back with the cooperation of the local tribe. And they worked out a whole bunch of uh, logos and, and stuff like that that were not as problematic. Still, we'll just call him Spokane from here. <laughs> he was ejected when he was managing there. And he was ejected pretty early in the game. And he went into the clubhouse and the mascot came into the clubhouse after doing one of those hilarious mascot skits that we all love. Oh, my goodness. The the laugh a minute mascot sketches. Yeah. And by the way, the mascot is not a Native American. Just so don't worry about that. (laughs) No, no, no. And Tim said, hey, you know what? Take the rest of the night off. And he, he put on the mascot uniform and headed out. He actually did entertain some fans in the stands. He did stuff in between innings on the field. But then he went into the dugout during play. (laughs) And guess what he did there? He managed the rest of the ball game. Unbeknownst to anybody on the field then. But announced by us. But yeah, exactly. Now announced by us. He was in there managing in this in this outfit. There is a picture that I posted (laughs) on our Twitter feed of him in this outfit. What I am not sure about, there were two different mascots around this time, and I don't know if he was Otto, O-T-T-O. I'm hoping that he was actually the Spokanosaurus, which was the other mascot, which I love that name, the Spokanosaurus. I think the Spokanosaurus is a a brilliant name and um, probably not exactly a real dinosaur no, that's just a guess i don't think they've ever named anything the spokanosaurus but uh <laughs> what i find funny though is you know we talked to bobby valentine about going into the dugout with glasses and eye black i mean tim flannery right. really took it to another level here very much so all right so we've got that uh, 
I also found out something today I did not know. I think we have finally figured out Shohei Otani's weakness. He has one? He has one, and it took none other than Mike Trout to figure it out. I mean, we got our best guys on it, obviously. Shohei Otani is very ticklish. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, as somebody myself who is very ticklish, I hate to be tickled. Like, my (laughs) wife knows if she tries to tickle me, my automatic reflex is to start throwing elbows. (laughs) I can't help it. It's just, I hate it. I am very ticklish. I hate it. And that is my defense. I can't help it. I just start throwing elbows. Well... Mike Trout figured out that Otane is ticklish and he will tickle him even in the dugouts. And I found some video of this happening and he does not like it. It is very (laughs) similar to Elvis Andrus taking off Adrian Beltre's hat and touching him on top of the head. It is that (laughs) level of comedy. So if, if he's on base, if he's on the mound, maybe let's just go tickle him. Try and throw him off his game. <laughs> well, now that uh, we have the information, teams can plan ahead. Yeah, definitely need to, to work that in somehow to your game plan. <laughs> we talked about the ham fighters, Tiyoshi Sinjo, when he was announced as their new manager, his fashion sense. And Mark, we both really, really enjoyed his outfits thus far. Oh, man, the man can dress. He can. Yeah. And he can do other things. He arrived. I, I mentioned last week that that Korea and Japan, they're already in spring training. They start almost when the new year starts. Well, he showed up to camp officially a little while ago. And my gosh, he made an entrance. <laughs> His vehicle of choice to show up is it's it's a trike. If you know what that is, it's a motorcycle, but it's got two wheels on the back. But this is not just any trike. The back of this thing, you know, when you were growing up and there were those station wagons that were like two blocks long and half a block wide that had like seats in the very back facing outwards and just these huge vehicles. Right. That's essentially what's on the back of this thing. Except for it's all white. It's chrome. And he is riding in in full uniform. And it is just badass. Nice. Yeah, I, I hope he loosens up a little bit as he goes on here. <laughs> yeah, he yeah seems, he's taking it too seriously. He seems really serious. <laughs> um, just something I want. I got an email from a gentleman, a listener, who was concerned that we are always calling Nippon ham fighters the ham fighters. Because it's actually, it's Nippon Ham is the sponsor, and they're just the fighters. So it's the Nippon Ham fighters. But we say ham fighters because... It's hilarious to us to think about someone actually battling a meat product. So, so folks, if, you, if you're not aware, it is actually Nippon Ham Fighters. I just wanted to be sure that everybody knew that. But we're still going to call them the Ham Fighters because it amuses us. That's, if it amuses nobody, if it just amuses us, we're going to keep doing it. That's the key to the show, amuse ourselves. Just like for that, those couple of shows when I said runs batted ins instead of yes. RBI. Simply because it amused me, I think it's <laughs> the only one that, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah. The gentleman had a good point and that maybe there are listeners who actually think we're saying that they're the ham fighters uh, when actually they probably haven't battled or went up against any butcher products at all. 
Do you think though, you know, in, in Japan, when they, in, in Korea, when they hit a home run, often they'll be greeted by a, a yell leader that will present them with flowers or some kind of, you know, a big stuffed uh, animal of some sort or something like that. Do you think at any point this team has handed out a, a ham? Boy, I would for well, sure. Raffled it off like to the crowd. Yeah. There's nothing like a good meat raffle. I'll tell you what. Give me a, give me a nice rum ham. If I can win a rum ham while at the at the ball game, I'm in. It's always sunny reference if anybody gets that one. Ah, got it. When you got to explain your joke, it means it was a good joke. It's not as funny though. <laughs> you don't think? No, it just it's quality if you got to explain it. <laughs> All right, I saw a, a great Larry Anderson story. Larry Anderson, oh, sweet. one of our favorites, Jeff Bagwell. Also, Larry Anderson. Wasn't he traded oh, yeah. for Jeff Bagwell? Yeah. Traded for straight up to yeah. the Red Sox. Larry Anderson, great sense of humor as a player. And since he went on to be a, a broadcaster as well, always good comedy. And uh, I saw this post where at Old Candlestick Park, the, the bullpens used to be, well, they used to be in play kind of in these fallout shelters down the baselines. But at one point, they were beyond the outfield fences before they built those little bomb shelters. And fans were sitting right next to them. I mean, you could carry on conversations with them throughout the game. Somebody posted a picture of that and a little story about when they were there and Larry Anderson was there. And Larry Anderson would be working on his stand-up routine during the game with the fans sitting right next to him <laughs> oh that's great and one this is a great quote that he 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 said to these fans the guy that took the picture said he said this to him he said why do you all stand up and sing take me out to the ball game during the seventh inning stretch you're already here <laughs> that is well that's one way to look at it classic larry anderson right there. yeah all right mark i asked a trivia question last time we were together i am expecting a, an answer in the f- format of which I, I asked it. So you cannot, right, if I so, ask for a number, you need to not give me a noun. Okay. I can't say a player when you want like a batting average. Yes, exactly. Let's okay. I, I, I got it now. So we've been talking about triple plays uh, the last couple of shows in our trivia question here. And the question I asked last time was how many times has a triple play ended a game? We know the last time it did, and we know the first time it did. But how many times in total has a triple play ended a game? Give me your best guesstimate here on this one. I'm going with eight. Eight. Okay. That's an interesting number because you're halfway there. Ah, The answer is 16. So very nice. You were in the the right ballpark. (laughs) That's, That's good. 16 times. A triple play has ended a, a ball game. Do you have any idea how many triple plays have been recorded? Now, this is according to StatHead from 1916 to 2021. So the records before 1916, a little fuzzy. Yeah. Since then, how many triple plays do you think have been recorded? I really have no idea whatsoever you gotta you gotta save me from this one i was gonna save this and make it the actual trivia question for next week but i I figured enough triple plays we'll move on 435 really yeah that's really high isn't it it's you know what's odd is that's the same number of people in the house of representatives (laughs) (laughs) 
Is it? I know it's somewhere in the four hundreds. Is that is that really the number? It, it's four thirty five. Wow! Look at civics class included. Very nice. <laughs> uh, we've discussed that Brooks Robinson is the only player in Major League history who is grounded into four of them. He with his cement shoes. Right. Yadier Molina with three is in second place all by himself. Wow. Three triple plays, man. You know what? If that happened to me a second time, I'd be like, okay, come on. (laughs) Really? But three. Yeah. Wow. A couple of guys that have hit into two. Rick Cerrone. That's not a shocker. Catcher. Phil Necro. I mean, oh, wow. I, he played a good deal in the National League and before the, the DH, so I can see that happening. But then you've got Hall of Famers, Tris Speaker, Lloyd Wayner. Let's see, they each hit into two. Al Cowens, Toby Hera, that's not a surprise. Pitchers, three pitchers have been the beneficiaries of three triple plays. Chris Short, wow. Bill Fowle, and CC Sabathia. Wow. Well, CC pitched for like 37 years, so. Yeah. He did. Only one triple play has ever been turned on a bunt fly ball. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's kind of, I didn't know any would have been done by that. Was one of them Phil Necro? (laughs) It does not tell me that. Let's see. Baltimore is hit into the most, thanks to Brooks Robinson, 26. The uh, two teams tied for second with 25 are Oakland and the Cubs. And uh, and then it goes down from, from there. And Gary Gaetti, I believe himself, is on the list. Uh, yeah, just he's a team amongst unto himself defensively. <laughs> now, this is interesting. Of these triple plays, I mean, I guess this makes sense, but uh, it, it Stathead lists all 435 as having taken place with less than two outs. So <laughs> technically, that could be one out, and they just turned it for the heck of it. <laughs> Oh, that's that's funny that they clarify that. Yeah, thank thank you so much for that. Since we are recording this in a in a, you know we're not recording it the week that is released, we don't have any correct answers from our listeners. So what we're going to do here, we're going to take a short little musical break. And if you did indeed answer sixteen, go ahead and say your name out really loud. Say it proud because you did a good job. So uh, here you go. Great job. Good job. Congratulations. That's nice, impressive. Nice job, listeners. We got the, we have the smartest listeners. Oh, no question about it. Yeah. All right. So here's your uh, here's your question for uh, for next week, Mark. With the finals Expos draft pick finally retiring from playing professional sports just last week, I thought it was the right time for this question. Who was the last active player in Major League Baseball to have played to have suited up in a game for the Seattle Pilots? Oh, wow. So I, I phrased that specifically so we don't get any Lou Pinella answers. Right. Because though he has a baseball card in a Seattle Pilots uniform, he never played in a game for them. I, I want to know who was the last one that actively played for the Pilots and then went on and played elsewhere. That's a good question, man. Let's uh, have those answers. Let us have it. We'll tell you how at the end of the show. If you haven't been able to figure out how to get a hold of us, we got a lot of ways, so we'll tell you. All right, Mark, let's get into the main part of the show. The ground screws already outdone their stuff because we didn't we didn't take any infield. We probably should have because our, our bunt <laughs> defense is awful, Mark. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I agree. I don't know what our problem is. Yeah, so let's get into the main part of the show. This, uh, this topic 
came uh, came to me in an interesting manner. Uh, I did uh, a show about Keith Hernandez a couple of episodes ago and really enjoyed it because I love talking about Keith Hernandez. And I was uh, talking via social media with one of our usual listeners, and uh, he brought up Steve Garvey as a comp for Keith Hernandez. And I had made a case for Keith Hernandez being in the Hall of Fame. And he said, well, what about Steve Garvey? And I admitted that I did not know much about Steve Garvey other than the off the field stuff. So I thought this is a great opportunity to go ahead and talk about Steve Garvey. So that's what we're going to do. So Stephen Patrick Garvey was born in Tampa, Florida in 1948. His father, Joe, was from New York and he had grown up a Dodger fan. And this was passed along and instilled to Steve at a very early age that the Dodgers were it. Joe was a bus driver for Greyhound in Florida. And in the spring of 1956, he was assigned to drive the Dodgers down to spring training in Vero Beach. So Joe figures now he's part of the team. So he asks, hey, can my son be the bat boy? And they said, sure, why not? You're our temporary bus driver, whatever you want. Would you like to sit on the bench? He didn't ask that, but regardless... Somehow the bus driver gets his son to be the Dodgers bat boy, and he continues to do that for the next six springs after that. Good gig if you can get it. In high school, Steve excelled as a baseball player despite his smaller stature, and he was drafted by the Minnesota Twins in the third round of the 1966 draft, but he did not sign, and instead he signed on to play baseball at Michigan State. 1968 rolls around, and Garvey is once again drafted, this time by his favorite team, the Dodgers. This 1968 draft by the Dodgers is considered by many to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, by a single team in a single draft. Listen to the guys that the Dodgers drafted this year. Davey Lopes, Bill Buckner, Ron Say, Tom Pachorek, Joe Ferguson, Bobby Valentine, Jeff Zahn, Doyle Alexander, and Steve Garvey. My goodness. Wow. That's a lot of baseball names right there. What a draft. <laughs> and this was just the Do- the Dodgers collected all these guys. I got to throw in something real quick here, Jeff. Uh, yep. Ron Say, the Penguins, since you mentioned him, we graduated from the same high school. You don't Oklahoma. say. You don't yeah. say. Did you know that we, uh, Ron Say, the Penguin, and I went to the same university? Uh, that I did know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right, so throughout his time in the minors and uh, through his debut in the big leagues, Garvey was a third baseman. Well, okay, I say third baseman, and I might that might be a very generous description. He inhabited the area around third base. We'll put it that way. In only 85 games in 1972, Garvey made a league-leading 28 errors. (laughs) which led people to say when Steve Garvey plays third base, it's ball night at Dodger Stadium. Just imagine an infield of Garvey at third and Steve Sachs at second. Ouch. Yeah, too early for Pedro, I think, but uh, Guerrero. (laughs) Stick him at first. And uh, yeah, I don't know who the worst fielding shortstop of all time is, but my goodness. Garvey's playing time was limited to mostly pinch hitting because of what, again, we will generously call his defense. But injuries forced the Dodgers' hand, and he ended up at first base. He improved his defense, ending up near the top of the league in fielding percentage, and his batting improved as well up to 304 now that he was getting some consistent at-bats. 
So he started the 1974 season at first for the Dodgers, but still really wasn't thought of much around the league. So little, in fact, that his name didn't even make it on the all-star ballot. But Garvey went about his business. He hit for average. He had some pop. He was driving in runs. A campaign was mounted by the team, and after receiving more than 20,000 more votes than the second-place first baseman Tony Perez, Garvey was named the starter for the National League in the All-Star game. Only the second time that a write-in player made the All-Star team as a starter. Very impressive. Yeah, it is. Now, there are allegations that Garvey himself stuffed the ballot box, and his <laughs> wife at the time even claims that she helped him do it. But regardless, he made it. So That's right. In that All-Star game, he had a couple of hits and some stellar defense, and it earned him the All-Star MVP award as a write-in. Not wanting to stop there, Garvey led his Dodgers to the playoffs that season to the playoffs that season, where he was named NLCS MVP after the Dodgers beat the Bucks, but they ended up falling to the powerful A's in the World Series. More accolades followed at the end of the season as Garvey won the first of four consecutive gold gloves, and he was named the National League MVP. So the player who was stuck at first base because they literally needed a warm body there before the season, who couldn't hit, couldn't feel his way out of a wet paper bag, had just cleaned house during that year. Steve became a household name and not just one of the best first basemen in the game, but one of the best players. He made the All-Star game the next seven seasons in a row and received MVP votes every year. He hit around 300 with 20-ish home runs and 100 RBI every season, along with gold glove fielding at first base until Keith Hernandez became the gold standard for first baseman. Plus, he played every single day. Every single day. He appeared in every game for five seasons in a row. Garvey wow. was popular with the fans, very popular, and his teammates really appreciated his baseball skills. You'll notice I phrased that very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> Coming into this story, I admit, as I said, I, I didn't know a lot about Garvey's career on the field as much as I knew about it off the field. His career wrapped up right about when I was really getting into baseball. And I had seen him as I was growing up on shows like Fantasy Island, which we'll talk about mm -hmm. here in a little bit. And I even remember seeing him once on the gong show. At one <laughs> nice. point, I heard him <laughs> described as being clean cut, an all-American guy. Somebody had said, he's so clean, he squeaks. Uh, another person said, a laser beam should be so straight. Well... <laughs> That was definitely a well-procured image that Garvey himself propagated to the public. Much like Gary Carter, this pissed his teammates off. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> big time. It, it came off as phony. They thought he mainly did it to get endorsements and publicity. You know, basically, if there was a camera around, he was in front of it. But the right. climate in America at that time was one of people looking for a traditional role model. And Steve painted himself as just that. In a Sabre bio by Maxwell Cates, there's a great description of how Garvey was seen. It says this, quote, Garvey was well-dressed and clean-shaven with every hair in place. He did not chew tobacco, swear, or wear jeans. Which, oh, okay, that's, yeah, straight and narrow there. He signed thousands of autographs until every kid had one. A school in the San Joaquin Valley even rededicated itself as the Steve Garvey Junior High School, end quote. Wow. I, I hope he doesn't let everybody down. Oh, boy, I hope not. As I mentioned, his teammates didn't, they didn't buy all this Mr. Clean stuff. 
They thought he was fake and that he was often judging them for their actions. At one point, his own wife even begged him to just go out for a drink with the guys after a game, but that never happened, and it was even reported that Garvey didn't have a single friend on the team. Now, that was false. Jerry Royce and Jay Johnstone were actually good friends with him, which is weird since those are two of the biggest jokesters like in the history of baseball, let alone the Dodgers clubhouse. Well, all of this boiled over in 1978 when teammate and Hall of Famer Don Sutton gave an interview and he said that Reggie Smith was the true leader of the Dodgers as well as their best player. The article came out while the Dodgers were on the road in New York playing the Mets. These quotes, as you can guess, didn't really go over well with Garvey and he confronted Sutton in the clubhouse. The two got into a scuffle that was dubbed the grapple in the apple, (laughs) which I am definitely putting on a T-shirt. I love the grapple in the apple is I don't know if that was a New York paper or what, but whoever wrote that should get a raise. (laughs) Garvey's time in L.A. eventually came to an end at the end of the 1982 season as the Dodgers had Greg Brock ready to go. They wanted to bring him up. He was cheaper than Garvey, who wanted a five year contract. You know, they were just ready to move on, especially with all kind of baggage that Garvey brought. So Garvey headed south and signed a five-year deal with the Padres. The first time Garvey put on his new uniform ever, as I said, conscious of that appearance that he has put forth to the public, he said this, quote, I used to look like an American flag. This Padre uniform makes me look like a taco, end quote, which, yeah. Nice. I think they're referred to as the taco uniforms. I wonder if because of that or just because yeah they look like a taco garvey was now teamed with a good core of players like greg nettles goose gossage and a young tony gwen in san diego he continued to play every day surpassing the national record for consecutive games played set by billy williams he did that in 1983 in his first visit back to dodger stadium his popularity in the new clubhouse though was similar to los angeles At a team party at Gossage's house, Steve was looking like he came straight out of a Sears catalog as usual. But at one point, he walked a little too close to the pool and several of his teammates pushed him in. He came up, pulled himself out of the pool, and this is how Gossage described his appearance. Quote, Steve Garvey has to be the only guy in the world who can get tossed into a swimming pool and come out looking the exact same way he did going in. (laughs) I think, I mean, helmet hair. Oh yeah! It really describes wasn't, Steve Garvey. Wasn't he? Uh, wasn't he the model for Bob's Big Boy? <laughs> very, very possibly. Throw yeah. some overalls, some checkered overalls on him. Yeah. I think Garvey's forearms were a little bit bigger, though. Right. Yeah, he had those Greg Jeffrey forearms. He did. Or I guess Greg Jeffries had had the Steve Garvey had Garvey forearms, right? So, in 1984, his numbers slipped a bit, but the Padres made it to the World Series after a masterful, legendary, dare I say, NLCS performance by Garvey before they fell to the Tigers. Garvey played two more full seasons before hurting his shoulder, and in 1987, it was his final year at age 38. He appeared in only 27 games, but finished up his 19-year career with 211 home runs, 1,308 RBI, 2,599 hits, A 294 average, only a 329 on base. Just, he did not walk. He was up there. That's coach low. Yeah, that is very low. A 775 slugging average for a career OPS plus of 117. His career fielding percentage at first base was .996. 
So compare that to Keith Hernandez, who we talked about, who had a career .994, and that'll show, I mean, he was a great fielder. Oh, yeah. Garvey had about the same number of chances as Hernandez, but committed 34 fewer errors and went the entire 1984 season without committing a single error. Wow. Very impressive. That is not easy. No. I mean, that's great. He was known defensively, though. He did not have an arm. Like, he could not put anything on a throw. So that was that was one thing that was uh, a check against him. Garvey was on the Hall of Fame ballot for 15 years. I don't know. I, they must have changed the rule since then, because you can only be on it for 10 now. But he never yeah. appeared on more than 43% of the ballots. Now that we've gotten through his baseball career, let's talk about his off-the-field activity, because there's a lot to, to unpack here. Steve scored 1,143 runs during his career, but off the field, he might have scored even more, if you know what I mean. <laughs> wink, wink. Despite his well-manicured Mr. Clean persona, Steve got around. A lot. I mean, like, like a whole lot Steve Garvey got around. Steve married his college sweetheart, Cindy, in 1971. They were married for 10 years and had two daughters together, but Cindy eventually found out that Steve was having an affair with his personal secretary, as well as many, and I do mean many other women throughout the country. Steve was that cliche that literally had a woman in every city the team visited, complete with a star rating system he kept in an address book. Following the contemptuous split, Garvey started to date a woman named Rebecca Mendenhall. She was an assignment editor for CNN, National League City, doesn't surprise me. Now, mm -hmm. I'm going to admit, there were so many names and dates of women that he was with, and every one of them thought that they were the only one, that it gets a little confusing. Very confusing, in fact, for me, so bear with me here. Mendenhall and Garvey started to discuss marriage, while at the same time, Steve was seeing another woman in California named Judith Ross. Both women found out about the other one, but Steve told them both, hey, I'm breaking it off with the other one. You're the only one for me. He and Mendenhall even set a wedding date, but just prior to it, Garvey abruptly called off the wedding as news from yet another woman who was in San Diego who claimed that she was pregnant with Garvey's child came out. Garvey not only just called off the wedding, but he also told Mendenhall that he wasn't going to take her to the Super Bowl and the presidential inauguration as they had originally planned. What he didn't tell her is he was taking yet another woman, Candace Thomas, to those two events. But wait, there's more. Mendenhall, at this time, also realizes she's pregnant and it was Garvey's child. Garvey eventually went on to marry Thomas, though, as Rachel on Friends once said, once a cheater, always a cheater. So <laughs> who knows how many more side pieces he had or, or still has at this point. With all these kids being born, Garvey was asked about it, and this was his response. And this is just this is disgusting. He says, quote, in both cases, I was led to believe that I wasn't responsible for birth control. End quote. <laughs> oh, sweetheart again. <laughs> this is like prime Jerry Springer type stuff right there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now for something a little bit lighter. I mentioned that Steve was all over TV and, and movies and so forth as a player, jumping at any opportunity there was to be seen. I mentioned his appearance earlier on Fantasy Island. So let's let's talk about that. So you've got Radar from MASH. Not really Radar, but the actor. 
He's on Fantasy Island, and he's sitting with Ricardo Montalban, and I have to assume they're discussing pure Corinthian leather or something. The, the actual thing that Radar wants to talk about is he is there on Fantasy Island because he wants to be a baseball player. So uh, Ricardo Montalban, he's sitting there with Radar, and there's Tattoo, for some reason wearing a Giants hat, but they're watching <laughs> some guys playing baseball. But these aren't just any guys. Steve Garvey's at the plate taking some cuts. Fred Lynn is heckling him from out in left field. George Brett is wearing a powder blue Royals top with white pants at third base, committing an error. Also, Brett is not just a fashion error, but, you know, powder (laughs) blue in the white. Uh, Also, Brett is for some reason wearing number 25 instead of his usual number five. So Brett wore 25 his first two years in the big leagues, but this episode aired in 1978, four years after he'd switched to number five. So some <laughs> something fishy going that's, on there. That's odd. I don't think I think they were probably to bring their own uniforms and Brett forgot. That's that is literally my guess. Is yeah. Uh, also in this episode, Tommy Lasorda, another guy never afraid of the camera, Ken Brett and Ellis Valentine couple of other appearances of note. 1993, he played Dr. Corey in an episode of Baywatch where he diagnosed one of the lifeguards with a rare eye disease that might keep them from running in slow motion on the beach ever again. <laughs> it was it was a very special episode of Baywatch. Yes. He was in the movie The Scout and made the obligatory appearance on Arliss. Also made a cameo on The Bold and the Beautiful. The all-time best appearance, though, has to be in a show that was called Masquerade, which Wikipedia describes as an amalgam of Mission Impossible and The Love Boat. (laughs) So that that pretty much describes our show, I think. Yeah, I I would totally put us online with that, yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what's actually going on in this episode. It takes place in a resort somewhere, a tropical resort. Steve is there with a group of little leaguers in the lobby of this resort when a couple runs past them and they're immediately chased by a pair of goons. Steve, Captain America, jumps into action here. He grabs a glove and a ball from the kids and starts to run after the the goons. So he runs and gets to a pool and a henchman jumps out in front of him. And he wields every elementary kid's favorite forbidden weapon, a throwing star. Nice. So this goon displays the star for the camera to see for like five seconds. (laughs) He's like, look at this. And then he throws it at Steve. Well, flashing that gold glove, he catches the star in his mitt and then fires the baseball, hitting the henchman in the head, who then slowly, and I mean very slowly, falls over into the pool, despite Garvey's well-known lack of an arm. He also had a small part in The Sandlot 2, which, as far as we are concerned, does not exist. Garvey also did a ton of advertising, both as a player and after retirement. He pitched Geritol as a 28-year-old, which is kind of odd. Hold on. He pitched Geritol when he was 28? 28 years old, and he is pitching Geritol. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In 1982, he did a spot for Jack LaLanne's gym. With Tawny Katane, who was fresh off oh. shaking her ass on the hood of White Snake's car. Nice. That's a that's a bullying for soup reference. There. Again, if I gotta <laughs> explain it. But this was also before marrying Chuck Finley or appearing on Seinfeld. Two things we have to mention. Steve was just window dressing in this, is literally he just spoke the tag at the end of the spot. And you can understand why. I mean Tawny Katane. 
Yeah. The stuff he got into after retiring, though, was a little bit off. He started promoting a weight loss supplement called the Informa system, which consisted of two dietary supplements. One was, quote, exercise in a bottle, and the other was a fat trapper. (laughs) (laughs) And people bought this stuff. Oh, yes, people did buy this stuff. And this is what Garvey said in the infomercials about these pills. He said, quote, look at all these delicious, supposedly forbidden foods like barbecue chicken and ribs, buttered biscuits, food that you can eat when you crave them without guilt, without worry. And it's all because of a few little capsules. (laughs) Well, the FTC Uh, did not approve. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of people got sued. Uh, This product was obviously bogus. And there were a lot of lawsuits about this. It was made of snake oil, I believe. Yeah, 100%. So beyond the Sabre bio, which is always where we get a bulk of our information here on this show, I also referenced a couple of old SI articles, but I found a great website that is called Sons of Steve Garvey, which (laughs) is just, I mean, that's a great name, uh, that had a lot of these stories and stuff on it. So if you want to check that out, I'll put the link in the show notes and you can go visit them. Now, feel like this went really long, but I feel like I only covered like half of the stuff that Steve Garvey did off the field. And uh, (laughs) but I mean, this was a lot of fun to look up. I hope I hope it was enjoyable for everybody else to hear Steve Garvey. uh, Kind of a weirdo. Yeah, that's a he was I remember him when I was really little, just like, you know, you were saying. Um, And I remember him being like this clean cut, you know, Mr. Cool, you know, every, and then when all the stuff came out about, you know, how many ever dozen kids he had, you know, people didn't quite feel the same way about Steve. Didn't he, he was used to be on the battle of the network stars a lot, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. I can just kind of see him in those like really short shorts and his socks pulled up to his knees and the hair. (laughs) Classic look. Classic Steve Garvey look, yeah. So there it is. There's Steve Garvey. I am going to say, if I got to take him or Keith Hernandez, I'm taking Keith Hernandez. Yeah, I'm taking Keith Hernandez every day of the week and twice on Sundays. All right. So let, let's hear it. Let's uh, Everybody can send in your opinions on whether we are right or not. But All right, Mark, let's uh, head into the final segment. It's time for Wax Pack Heroes. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Pack Heroes. All right, before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the Junk Wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. 
if that player won an award that season. MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark, with that, which team are you picking? I am going to go with the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles. All that Brooks Robinson talk. All right. All right. So if you're going to go with the Orioles, I'm going to go with their natural rival, the uh, Steve Garvey-led Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> okay. they're, they're natural rivals, aren't they? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But if the Mariners and the Padres can be natural rivals, I think the Orioles and the Dodgers can be for sure. Oh, the, the animosity between the Mariners and the Padres is just oh, massive. Sure is. I mean, you can you can cut the tension with a knife. So many brawls in the stands when those two. Uh, so many. It right. is. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Mark, I have got we got matching pairs of cards this week. I have got two packs of 1989 tops complete with gum. Nice. There are 15 cards in each of these, so we'll each need to lose five. Taking a look at the scoreboard right now, you had a improbable win last week where I just kind of choked it away. You are leading 13 to 8 currently. I'm going to let you choose whether you would like to choose the pack on the left, well, in my left hand, or my right hand. Mm, I'm going to go. I've had better luck with the packs on the right. Right. All right. I am going to elect to be the home team. I will go second. Before I open this, which would you like? Would you like to lose five cards? Should we just let you, like, you could pick one through 15, or do you just want to do first or last? Uh, let's just do uh, uh, the last five. Last I'll get rid of the last five. five. All right, so we're going to open this up. Oh, gum's all intact. We've got a full piece of gum there. You might want to put it in a card sleeve. <laughs> all right, so the last five. Oh, you got lucky. One of them's a checklist. Do we count that? Yeah, every player on there, we get his war. No, you lose it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you lose the valuable checklist. Uh, you lose Glenn Hubbard. No snake included in this one, though. This is with the A's. Uh, Mariner Mike Campbell. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. Dave Winfield. Ooh, ah, Hall of Famer. Ouch. Yeah, and I mean, this is prime Winfield, 89. That hurts. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, oh, a pitcher for the Dodgers, Alejandro Pena. Yeah. Okay. I, that Winfield, uh, that might come back to bite you right there. Yeah, that's a, that's a big point Hall of Famer right there. All right. So let's uh, start here. You are starting with uh, one of our favorites, one of the original true three outcomes guy. Well, two true outcomes guy, Rob Deere with the Brewers. Oh, yes. Yep. Rob Deere, who on occasion would strike out more times than what his batting average was. Yeah. And his weight sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, it was like he would hit 194, but strike out 210 times. Yeah. You know, today somebody strikes out 200 times a season. It's not cool. It doesn't happen a whole lot, but it happens. He he set the record at 186 at one point and his weight is listed at 210. So he never struck out more than his weight. Okay. But let's see. We are looking at 1989 for Rob. He did not lead the league in strikeouts this year. So you got that going for you. Oh, good. He only struck out 158 times. That's it, huh? Yeah, wow. in 130 games. Uh, let's see. He hit 210 on base of 305. That's not good. A uh, OPS plus of 105. Uh, how many stolen bases do you think he had for his career? <laughs> Rob Deere? Yeah. Uh, 11? 43. 
No kidding. Yeah. I figured it went to 11. He's, <laughs> he stole 12 in 1987 and was only thrown out four times. Wow. Yeah, that's not something you expect. Uh, let's see. This all equates to a war of 0.3. And uh, there's nothing on this card that is going to help you out. I'll take what I can get, I guess. Uh, we know that Rob Deere also played in, in Japan for the Hanshin Tigers. In 91, he posted what was then a record for the lowest qualified batting average in Major League history. <laughs> with 179. Wow. Dan Ugla tied that in 2013. And then Chris with a C Davis broke it in 2018 when he hit 168. Of course he did. That season, Deer had 41 extra base hits and only 39 singles. <laughs> wow. Wow. I think he was up there swinging pretty hard. Yeah, he uh, he was known to do that. All right. Next, you have got a Padre. Darn it. I, I took the I took the original Steve Garvey. Yes. Not the, uh, not the it is none other than Cubs legend here with the Padres, Keith Moreland. Keith Moreland nicknamed Zonk, which I like. Zonk. Zonk. <laughs> 12 years in the big leagues. Most of it was with the aforementioned Cubs. He was in San Diego for just one year. And uh, let's see, 89 was actually the final year of his career, and he split it between the Tigers and the Orioles. Altogether, he ended up hitting 278, not too bad. Six home runs, 45 RBI, a 330 on base, and a 99 OPS plus. And that equates to a war of zero. <laughs> So if a war is zero, wins above replacement, that means he was the exact average player. Well, get this. So he started the season with the Tigers. He played 90 games with the Tigers. I'm assuming he was traded probably near the deadline to the Orioles. With the Tigers, he was a .7 war. In the 33 games with the Orioles, he was a minus .7 war. <laughs> with an on-base percentage of .243. Ooh, that is not good. So that will uh, that'll leave you even. Uh, he does have real stirrups and eye black on, though. So you're going to get a positive point two out of that. Well, take something, you know. Yeah. Moreland was a uh, full time radio color analyst for the Cubs. Yep. D I believe didn't. Was he the one that had uh, or no, it was, it was Ron Santo that had his foot or part of his leg amputated because of diabetes. But yeah. Moreland was there for a while. I think he stepped down since then, but. All right, next we have got a another Cub. You've got a rated rookie. Ooh. So uh, I'm not sure if this is going to help because uh, I'm not sure if it's just his first year or what, but it's Mark Grace. Ooh. In this, in this card wearing number 53. Oh, that's funny. So he was not expected to make the uh, Major League squad when they took this picture. <laughs> that's for sure. All right, let's see. Mark Grace, Gracie or Little Hurt, 16 years in the big leagues, 13 with the Cubs, Finished up in Arizona with three. In 1989, was his second full year in the big leagues. Uh, let's see, got MVP votes. 14. Yeah, he came in 14th, but he got some. He was second in the Rookie of the Year balloting in 88 uh, behind Chris Sabo. Let's see, he hit 314. He did, oh, he, you know, and he actually had some power here, too. He had 13 home runs which is not something he normally did. 79 RBI, 14 stolen bases, and a 139 OPS plus. All of that equates to a war of 4.0. Yeah, not bad at all. That'll take you up to 4.5. Uh, we've talked about Gracie, I think, enough. Probably don't want to talk about his legal problems. Ah, well, yeah, I didn't know this. His ex-wife, Michelle, married Ray Liotta. 
That is so random. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome, though. All right. Next. Oh, you're going to like this. We've been talking about this guy a lot lately and his musical prowess. Plus, he has got a, a sweatband with his caricature on. Here he is with the Rangers. I, I think this is the non-pumped up version of Ruben Sierra. Ah, oh, Ruben. Yeah, we're both big fans of Ruben Sierra. Guy could hit, switch hitter, a lot of power. And can sing the hell out of some salsa music. That's right. Talented guy. <laughs> All right, let's see here. In 1989, you're going to like this because he was an all-star and he came in second in the MVP voting. So this might have been his first pumped up year where Bobby Valentine was a little a little curious and told to <laughs> mind his own business. Let's see, led the league in triples and RBI as well as slugging percentage. He hit 306, 29 home runs, 119 RBI, a 347 on base, a 543 slugging, and a 146 OPS plus. And all of that equates to a war of 5.9. Very nice. Plus he was an all-star, so that's 6.4, and then you get the sweatband money there, so that's a positive 6.5. Very nice. That's some good, good gettings there. These are some big names he was involved in trades with. When he came to the A's from the Rangers, he was uh, he came over with Jeff Russell and Bobby Witt for Jose Canseco. The A's traded him to the Yankees for Danny Tartable. The Yankees traded him to the Tigers for Cecil Fielder. I mean, those are some, <laughs> wow. some big boppers there. And eventually in 2003, he was traded for Marcus Thames, who had a big career in Japan. Yes, he did. All right. And of course, he's had some some very good success with uh, with music. All right. Next. Uh, let's see. That takes you up to 11 even, by the way. You're having a good pack here. Next, we got a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. It's Bill Wegman. I remember Bill Wegman. I do as well. Went on to uh, pitched, open a for like a decade. He opened a successful chain of grocery stores as well, I believe. Nice. Yeah. Wegman. I get it. <laughs> let's see. 1989. He played for 11 years. All of them with Milwaukee, by the way. Went two and six this year, only appeared in 11 games, a 6.71 ERA, 58 ERA plus, and that equates to a war of minus 1.2 and nothing on the cards going to help you out. So I'm down Thanks, with that. Bill. Get you going the other way there. All right. So uh, you're at 9.8 and uh, we got a Mariner. We got a good Mariner. Uh, well, not Uh-oh. a good, I don't know if he's so much a good Mariner, but he's a good guy we like to talk about. It's bye-bye time. Steve Balboni. <laughs> oh, yes. Steve Balboni. Close your eyes and swing as hard as you can. You know, Steve Balboni seems like he should have been on Seinfeld. I, I mean, he was he was uh, retired by the time Seinfeld. Well, you know, right around when the time Seinfeld started. He was on the Yankees in 89 and 90. So really close, but no cigar. He would have fit yeah. right in. Uh, 1989, his first of two years with the Yankees. Appeared in 110 games, hit 237, 17 home runs, 59 RBI, an on-base percentage of 297. Yikes. Ouch. But an OPS plus of 112. Huh. All right. Career stolen bases for Steve Balboni. What do you got? Three. You were very close. One. (laughs) (laughs) He was caught twice. (laughs) 1989, that equates to a war of minus 0.1. Of course. And uh, nothing on this card's going to help you out. I mean, he's got a good mustache, of course, but we're not we're not playing that game anymore. All right. So you are at 9.7, and you've got another rated rookie. You remember who Boy. I told you beat out Mark Grace for rookie of the year in 1989? 
yes. Or 88? Of course I remember. Go on. <laughs> you can't, you, you, that 15 minutes ago, it's already gone. Uh, you got Chris yeah. Sabo. Oh, that's right. Our hero. <laughs> Spuds. Let's see. Rookie of the year, 1988, and an all-star, but an 89 nothing. Uh, he was hurt, appeared in 82 games, hit 260, a 316 on base, and a 390 slugging. Uh, he did steal 14 bases. That's an OPS plus of 99, and that equates to a war of 0.2. Of course, though, he has got those goggles on, the rec specs, and he's also got real stirrups on, so you're going to get a positive 0.4. Next, we have got a uh, tiger that's wearing some of those big science teacher glasses that I so love. It is Scott Lucader. Oh, man, I kind of remember. I mean, I know the name. Yeah, I definitely remember the name. I remember him being in Detroit. Looks like he played sparingly for the Yankees as well in 91. Five-year career, four of it was with the Tigers. He was always a, a backup or a call. I mean, I don't, I don't think he spent an entire season in the big leagues. His career high in games was in 90 with 45. In 89, he appeared in 40 games. He hit 252, a 310 on base. He had one home run, eight RBI, and an 80 OPS plus. And that will equate to a war of positive 0.2 plus the glasses will get you a 0.3. Very nice. Take you up to 10.4. Interesting, uh, Lucader in 1990 tied a major league record by committing three outfield errors in a single inning. <laughs> That's right. Congratulations. We've talked about that. Yep. Yeah, we've gone in depth on that before. I forgot that it was him, but yeah, there you go. All right, you have got uh, two cards left here at 10.4. And uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you his hometown. And there's only two guys that we talk about from Kingston, Jamaica. Who's it going to be? I'm going to go with Devo. You had a 50% chance, but you got it wrong. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) It is Charles Arthur Davis. Oh, Charles Theodore Davis, a.k.a. Chili or Chill Dog. 19 years in the big leagues. In 1989, he was with the Disney California Angels. Appeared in 154 games, uh, split time between left field and DH. He ended up hitting 271, a 340 on base and a 436, slugging 22 home runs, 90 RBI, and a 120 OPS plus. Chili had 142 stolen bases in his career. Would have wow. never, would have never thunk I, it. I didn't think of him as a as a runner. No, me either. Two point nine WAR, and he has got. Uh, I'm going to say those are real stirrups. I'm not sure, but I'll give it to you. That'll take All you right. up to three point even. All right, and I'll get you a thirteen point four. Uh, let's see. We've talked about Chili enough. Do you do you know where he got the name Chili? Uh, I was going to say we we've talked about Chili enough because we've we've gone over his nickname before. Yes. But may, do you want to recount it? Yeah, it, it uh, he got the name Chili because his father, when he was a child, his father gave him a really nasty bowl cut. And they basically said, someone placed a chili bowl on your head and cut around it. So he became Chili. That's how you give a bowl cut, though, right? You just put I, a bowl I, I've never tried. I don't know. Well, I didn't try either, but I know that that's how you do it. <laughs> Unless Chili Bowls are Ask P. Rose, man. He'll know. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's a. He did it himself with a Floby, I think. <laughs> All right, next year. Wow. Yeah, Floby right there. Uh, Ron Popeil. Your final nope. card is a Cincinnati Red. It is not Fred McGriff. It is Terry McGriff. I have no recollection of that. I think I remember this card much more than I do Terry McGriff himself. Uh, let's see. Six years in the big leagues. 
most of it four years in Cincinnati, then he bounced around between Houston, Florida, and St. Louis. In 1989, he appeared in six games for the Reds. As you can imagine, did not do a whole lot. That is a minus point one. There is nothing on this card that is going to help you out. Not the crime dog McGriff. No, but he is the cousin of Fred McGriff, and he is the uncle of Charles Johnson. How's that for a baseball oh, wow. pedigree? Yeah, wow. Too bad you can't get their numbers. <laughs> yeah, too bad. Yeah, that, his whole Wikipedia page is cousin of Fred McGriff, uncle of Charles Johnson. Thanks for watching. <laughs> uh, McGriff caught a no-hitter with Jack Armstrong, though, when they were both with the Reds in the minor leagues with the Nashville Sounds. Nice. It looks like Armstrong gave up one walk. Otherwise, it would have been a perfect game. All right, Mark, nice. that takes you to a total of 13.3. All right, well, that's uh, that's right around where it could win, it could lose. Yeah, you started off really strong. Yeah. And then kind of tapered out it there at the end. So I'm going to go to my pack. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be radical. I'm going to I'm going to lose the top five. Ooh. Based on your cards. I think the, the losing the uh, the Dave uh, Winfield hurt. Yeah, the Winfield hurt. Yeah, for sure. So I am going to look at the top of this. I am going to lose John Cerruti of the Blue Jays, Jose de Leon of uh, the Cardinals, Dave Dravecki, former guest of the Giants. Uh-oh. Uh, Uh-oh. Atlee Hammaker, also pitcher with the Giants. Oh, no. Uh-oh. And Keith Hernandez. <laughs> Uh-oh. Dang it. Wow. That, that sucks. I'm going to put this card aside because that's a good looking card, though. He's got the real stirrups. He's got the stash. No batting gloves. He's got the pullover. Oh, he's also got no points for you. Hey, I could have very easily. We're not on camera today. I could have easily just switched it up. But I'm playing. Where's the fun in that? Come on. I'm playing with the (laughs) integrity here. That's right. All right. We start off with a member of the Atlanta Hammers. It is Pete Smith. Not Zane Smith. Not Zane Smith is Peter Smith. Let's see. Pete Smith, 11 years in the big league. Seven of it was in Atlanta. 1989. Wow. This is this is the 89 uh, hammers for you. Pete went five and 14. Oh, wow. The year before he went seven and 15. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he Ouch. Went, when he went seven and 15, though, he had a 3.69 ERA, which... You know, again, wow. ERAs are, are nothing to us, right, but, but that still. tells you how <laughs> the kind of right. team behind him, right? Man. Uh, let's see, in 89 with that 5-14 and 14 mark, he had a 4.75 ERA, struck out 115 in 142 innings, and had an ERA plus of 76, and this is going to equate to a war of minus 0.9. He does have real stirrups, though. <laughs> well, you got that going for you. Yeah, so that is a rough start. Boy, in, in 88 and 89, he went 12 and 29. Finished his career. 12? He also has yeah. a 4 and 10 year in there for the Mets. Finished his career. Yeah, finished his career at 47 and 71. 71 losses. Get this though. <laughs> in 92 for Atlanta, he went 7 and 0 with a 2.05 ERA. What? Wow. Yeah, can I can I trade trade years <laughs> all right next i've got a pitcher for the montreal expos we never choose the expos as our team we should probably start Ooh. doing that tim burke hey tim burke we've discussed at length we have one of those guys that seems to show up every every uh, pack yeah let's see well good news for me in 1989 tim burke 
was a uh, was an all star. Was an all star. He went nine and three. Reliever, 28 saves, 2.55 ERA, threw 84 and two-thirds innings, struck out 54, a 139 ERA plus, and that equates to a war of 2.5, so that is 3.0 with the All-Star, and he has got real nice, thin stirrups. That'll get me a 3.1. Nice. Yeah, I'll take that. Tim Burke, who starred in the Jeff Moore in the Distance music video, Home run, as we've talked about. That's uh, that. Now that's going to be stuck in my head uh, because I'm going <laughs> to throw a clip in here. But uh, just if anybody, you know, if you ever get an earworm like this, the easiest way to get rid of it is to just listen to the intro uh, to this week in baseball. You will instantly yes. lose, and it, and you'll like what you lose it. So yeah, just mentioning it now, I've got it in my head. Yeah. Thanks. All right, next I have got a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. We celebrate his entire catalog. We can't just pick out one of his greatest hits. It's Tom Bolton. Do I need to do I need to do I need to say an office space reference? <laughs> I know I didn't for you, but I just I don't know if that was too too uh, it's office space, whatever. All right. Yeah. Interesting picture here, though, because this is at spring training and uh, over his shoulder in right field of the stadium is a f- very large Ferris wheel. Hmm. You do not see uh, amusement park rides in many baseball cards. Not a lot of them. No. It, you know, the uh, Rakuten Stadium in Japan, they have an amusement park out beyond center field. You can, well, you can see a very large uh, Ferris wheel there. Let's see. Tom Bolton. Eight-year career, six years in Boston, then he bounced around. 1989, wow, my pitching staff is awful. He went 0-4 with an 8.3 ERA in only four games. Ouch. That is a 51 ERA plus. He was a lefty, though. That's why he was uh, not immediately released. Right. This equates to a war of uh, minus 0.7. I do get a positive plus 5 for the Ferris wheel in the background, though. We, we have that rule? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't it's, come up very often. It's but, a uh, very, it, it's not a well-known bylaw, but yeah, it was unanimously passed way back, way back when. Yeah. I, I don't remember it, but I, I totally believe you, man. All right. So that minus 0.7 will take me back down to 1.6. I have got a future star. Now this sucks because you got two rated rookies that were really good. I've got a future star. Who this guy played for a long time, but I just don't think he, if he even played in in '89, I'm going to get much. It's pitcher for the Cubs, Mike Harkey. Oh sure, I remember Mike Harkey. Yeah, I, I think he played for a while, but you know, yeah, he's not going to rack up the war as a middle reliever. Uh, let's see <laughs> and get this. So he made his debut in '88 and then didn't reappear in the big leagues until '90. So that that really helps well, me. bummer. <laughs> You know, the thing about getting these uh, really bad players in my pack is there's not really much to talk about. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> oh, but now if this guy doesn't give us a lot to talk about, I don't know what will. Pitcher for the Tigers, Ted Power. <laughs> oh, yes. Ted Tower of Power. <laughs> Ted Power, who the only thing we ever really remember about him is that we pull him in Wax Packs Heroes quite often. <laughs> yes, we do. But, you know, I and I'm sure we say this every time, 13 years in the big leagues. 
Yep, yep. I'll give you one guess what team he finished his career with. Um, the Mariners? You got, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely he did. I thought that's where you were going. Yeah, absolutely he did. Let's see. In 1989, he uh, spent the year with the Cardinals. Went 7-7 seven and seven with a 3.71 ERA. Started 15 games. Let's see. Relieved in 8. 97 innings pitched, 96 hits allowed, 43 strikeouts, a 98 ERA plus, and that is going to equate to a war of minus 0.2. I am just, I cannot buy a hit here. You're, you're digging it deeper, man. Yeah, this is uh, not going the right way. All right, so I'm stuck still at 1.4. We have got a Mariners closer. I don't know if he was a closer at this point, but I remember he was just one of the worst closers ever. <laughs> Are you talking about Bobby Ayala? No, no. Oh, no. Bobby. I wouldn't say. I would say Bobby Ayala is is a serviceable reliever. I'm talking about Mike Schooler. Oh God! Forgot about Mike Schooler, and for good reason. I think he gave up like three grand slams as a closer one year. I mean, he was just. I remember because uh, it was while I was at Washington State. He was just. Oh, he just kept getting rocked. Oh yeah. So of course I pull him. Uh, 1989, well, he went one and seven. I mean, the 89 Mariners for nothing to write home about. But get this, a 2.81 ERA huh. and, and 33 saves. Wow. A 145 ERA plus. Wow. Yeah. A 1.9, <laughs> a positive 1.9 more. He's my best card yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're having a rough day when Schooler's your best card, man. Yeah, well, I will. Uh, I'll take it, I guess. Sure. Boy, in 89. Yeah, he finished third in the American League in saves only behind Jeff Russell and Bobby Thigpen. Wow. OK, I take back uh, some of what I said. Yeah. OK, so that gets me up to three point three. Now I'm, I'm hoping to do some damage here. I've got a leader's card. Oh, I'm not going to. <laughs> Leaders. All right. It's in Oakland Athletics, which in 89, this is great. Oh, give me Ricky Henderson. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, obviously, he wouldn't be on the leader's card because he got traded at the de- uh, midseason. But uh, no, it's none other than Walt Weiss. Uh, but OK, <laughs> now let me ask you, I can see Mark McGuire. I can see the back of his name on his jersey here getting ready to give a forearm bash. To Walt Weiss. <laughs> uh, what's the ruling on this? Well, it's is it? It's not just a Weiss. No, it's, card. He's, he's in the dugout. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing he's hit a home run because there there are people giving him forearm bashes. He was a basher, wasn't he? Oh yes, known for that power, Mister Walt Weiss. Well, I guess I don't know. I, it's weird because what if there were like five more players? In well, that? there are. Would you get can, all of them? I can see Jose Canseco's <laughs> arm, even though I, I, I just know that it's his arm. And Tony Phillips, I can just see his arm reaching up and giving him the forearm bash. But we'll we'll just stick with, uh, we'll just stick with uh, with Weiss here. All right, we'll go with the main guy. Yeah. So we know in '88 he was the Rookie of the Year. Third yep. in a row for the A's. 89, only appeared in 84 games. Never had much of a bat. Hit 233, an on-base of 298. That's not going to help. Ouch. Yeah, and a OPS plus of 77. And all of this equates to a war of positive point three at least. He's got eye black something. on as well, so that'll get me a positive point four. It was solid defensively, so... 
That'll take Makes me sense. up to uh, 3.7. So I've got a record breaker card here. And this is, I, I, I'm enjoying the card because I know who it is. The name is nowhere on it. <laughs> it, it, it nowhere on the front of the card. But it is uh, Kevin McReynolds with the Mets. Kevin steals 21 without being caught. Big Mac is perfect on the bases. Wow. So uh, not bad. Record breaker. I am not sure how much Kevin McReynolds is going to get me, though. All right. His nickname was Big Mac as well. That probably went away when McGuire came into the league. But 89 with the Mets. uh, He was their everyday left fielder. 148 games. He hit 22 home runs, drove in 85, stole 15. Hit 272, 326 on base, 450 slugging for a 125 OPS plus, And that equals a positive 3.6. Oh, you like just doubled up. Yeah, I wasn't sure what I was going to get, but it sure worked out. He's got real stirrups as well. So that I literally did double, double up. I was at 3.7 and he scored me a 3.7. So that'll take <laughs> me up to 7.4. All right, next, I've got a, I've got a checklist. Now, you tried to uh, get me to count every player and use all their stats on your turn. So uh, I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> but but mine was mine was uh, Napes. I, I didn't use it. Well, so. yeah, but but if you could have, you would have uh, you would have wanted, you know. Well, I think that's only fair to get every single player on the checklist. All right. Well, this is going to turn into the longest episode we've ever had. <laughs> all right. So what sucks, though, is I'm down to one card. Uh, after that, and yeah. I guarantee you, I am not going to uh, not going to be able to scrape together uh, six points of war out of Terry Pool with the uh, <laughs> Terry with the Swimming Pool. <laughs> now, I, I I'm a big Terry Pool fan. I, I got nothing against Terry Pool, but you're not going to get. You're me just six saying, he's, yeah, he's not going to win it for you right here. I get you. I'm interested to see. Does he have uh, over his career? He accumulated twenty eight point three. War and actually in 1980 he had a 6.2 war. <laughs> Can I switch well, years? Um, let me think about it. No. Wow. In 1980, he hit 282, uh, 13 home runs, 55 stolen bases, 27 or uh, 27 stolen bases, 55 RBI, and a 124 OPS plus. He must have been a pretty good defensive. Uh, he was. He was. He was a solid ball player. He's in the Houston Astros Hall of Fame. Is he really? Wow. He is. Well, he spent 15 years in the big leagues, 14 of it which were with the Astros. In 89, he appeared in 121 games, hit 271, no home runs, 27 RBI, a 353 on base, 364 slugging, a 109 OPS plus. He stole 217 career stolen bases. He was quick and he was solid in the outfield both. I feel he's, in my mind, he's underrated just because I never really thought that much of him. But looking at these yeah. numbers, he was a solid guy. No, he, he was a he was a good ball player, and I always enjoyed watching him play. Well, he's going to get me a two point one WAR here, which is nice. which is Mike's cooler range. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's going to be nowhere near. That'll bring me to nine point five. You were at thirteen point three, and I I just cannot win. I cannot string together any wins. That'll move you up to 14 wins compared to my eight. And uh, Well, what can I say, man? I've just gotten really good at this game. Yeah, the fat lady's starting to warm up, I, I feel. <laughs> it ain't over till it's over, says Yogi. 
All right. Well, you know what is over? This edition of Wax Packs Heroes. <laughs> Congratulations, Mark. You have once again bested me. Let's start to wrap up the show. If you want to get a hold of us, we are available to you, the listener, our listener, 24-7. Any to any time, any hour, any day of the week, you can find us on the internets. We are at Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. We are likewise on YouTube, on Twitch. We're going to have to do, I've got, I've got our next videos all queued up, Mark, ready to watch. When you get back into town, I think we'll do that. We'll watch some videos Beautiful. on Twitch. Uh, you can find all of those links in the show notes. We've also got an email address in the show notes that Mark is now going to dictate to you. Yeah, you can write to us at two strike noise, TWO strike noise at gmail.com. Feel free to send a message. We may not get to you, back to you that very day, but we promise to get back to you. And, you know, we got a very interesting email about one of our past stories that uh, we're going to talk about here in, in an episode yes. or two that I cannot wait yeah. to share. Very fun. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, thank you once again for listening. We hope you have a great week, and we will see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 